The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle, from the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback. There's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places. Podcast, Travis Ryer, Senior Analyst for BOL, alongside site publisher, Tim Watts. Tim, it's September. You know, does it feel like September to you, Tim, as we uh, inch closer to the start of a college football season? Man, every month just sort of has been a blur. I just go outside and check the temperatures, sort of figure out where I'm at in the year. Um, it's cooled off tonight, so I knew football was approaching, but... Um, it's been quite the blur to me. Yeah, we've had some high school football, uh, certainly in the state of Alabama. Have you enjoyed that at this point? Oh, yeah. I watched Tom. I, you know, the thing I love is, even though I'm not going out, they've got that uh, high school app. And every Friday night, I watch three, two or three games, uh, one or two on Saturday. So, seen some good football, seen Thompson a couple times, Oxford, some really good uh, football players. And, it, and you could tell how excited it was around here. I'm sure it was that way. As the Thompson season approached, all the every there's a lot of excitement. Um, a lot of people are going to be playing any form of football. Does Thompson do the students do the truck flags? You know, they got the big flags on the pickup trucks on they, game day that they drive around with them because they do that here. They do that at Northridge. They do something. Um, mine doesn't have a my well, my senior doesn't have a truck, but. They all do some kind of ride around. I try to. That's the day I try not to leave the house because we can walk. To, <laughs> so I can walk to the game. I don't have to worry about parking or anything else. I can just walk over there. So yeah, there's a there's a lot of activity. There's a lot of tailgating. They don't call it. Thompson, we got, they don't call it Thompson U for nothing, Travis. I know. I mean, they got a campus over there, Hoover, Spain Park. Good lord. There's that the, area in general, man. Our poor little Tuscaloosa County over here trying to compete in that in that area. That's that's tough, man. That's a tough region there with all those uh, blue bloods and elite high school football programs in the state of Alabama right there in the Birmingham area. Well, Tim, speaking of high school football, the Alabama Crimson Tide over the weekend picks up its 20th commitment for the 2021 recruiting cycle. A big guy in Tim Keenan, defensive tackle from Ramsey High School. So let's hear it. What are your thoughts on this latest commitment? Another big one, literally and figuratively, when it comes to the Alabama defensive line. You know, I think it's just, you know, the case has always been like when 
you're dealing with the nose guard like Tim Keenan is. He's six foot two, three hundred thirty pounds. Um, it's not a sexy position. It's not a guy running around from the backside chasing the quarterback down. They don't get a lot of sacks. I think most Alabama fans, as much as they love Terrence Cody, Mount Cody, if they looked at his stats, they'd be shocked. I mean, there is not a lot of production when you're looking just on paper statistics. But if you ask Nick Saban or Kirby Smart or Bo Davis, who had to had to coach him and what ask them what impact that guy had on the, you know each game. I think it would be uh, it would be considerable that they'd, they'd sing his praises. I think Tim falls in that old school nose guard. He's a big kid. He's quick. I mean, he's, you know, guy that size, three hundred thirty pounds, is always going to be able to do some conditioning. So I think Baloo and Ray are probably are pretty excited about having a chance to work with him. But this is a guy that trains in downtown Birmingham. If you watch him for a big guy, if you just watch him, he's got a quick little burst, and and he is strong, Superman strong. You know, and I think last season was a prime sort of example of how we get so carried away with hero ball and the plays like you alluded to, sacks, tackles for loss, you know, the the highlight type plays. But if you still aren't legit right up the middle of that defense on the point of that defense, you're going to have some problems. And just look at Alabama last year for more on that. You know, DJ Dale, there were big expectations for him coming in as a true freshman. Unfortunately for him, he gets hurt early in the season. In the middle of that defense, as much as we talk about the passing game, and it's very much the case in this era, it's not 2011 with Josh Chapman or even the aforementioned Terrence Cody. But you still have to have a war daddy in the middle of that defense, Tim, or you're not going to get to a situation where you can get to the quarterback or get after the quarterback on third long. There's no doubt about it, especially, you know, the thing is, you got the pressure usually coming from the outside, but if that quarterback has a nice, clean pocket, you haven't collapsed, he can step right up there, buy him an extra second or two to find a receiver. You get that nose guard, that's what, you know, Terrence Cody did a good job of. He just, when the ball was snapped, he just dropped his head, ran over the center, and then he spread his arms and grabbed both guards and did a bear hug. So, (laughs) they came charging through there like madmen, so... There's a lot of sacrifice in the position, and I get it. I saw it was very debated this week. It's almost like that scene in Pretty Woman when you meet that when you know with the comes to the opera, you either love it or you hate it. I think that's sort of a stance for many on those guards. I think well, you and really get what they do or you don't. The, these big guys that they've accumulated in this class too, right? I mean, there's some projectability for some of these guys, maybe at another position, even on the other side of the ball. Is that correct? Oh, I think so. I mean, when you look at him, I wouldn't expect a lot of movement. But last year you saw with uh, the Latham kid, you saw a guy that could project on the offensive line. I still think Anthony Barnes could be on the offensive line based on his size, um, his upside, and what you know, you know, what might be best for him. So I think when you get guys like that that can play on either side, uh, I think it's a big advantage because you know you move them to you move them where you need them. You know, it's almost like a jumbo athlete. I think we used to call it back in the day and. Um, when you have a guy that can project on either side, and I don't, I don't expect uh, Tim Keenan. I think he's going to be a nose guard all the way. But uh, you know, still, it's a guy. You know, and the thing about it is, you know, when, if you're looking at this logically, Alabama's having a very, very elite class. This class is so good that people in March and April said nobody would come close to Ohio State, but Alabama, they are a smidgen behind them. They were ahead of them earlier in the week ahead of Ohio State. So this is a very elite class. So you got to assume, you got to trust 
that this staff knows what they're doing. And when they're taking anybody, if it's a long snapper, if it's a, you know, if it's a punter, if they're taking anybody and putting them on scholarship with these last few spots, they've got to hold them in high esteem. So I don't think – I think rankings came into play here. You know, Tim's a three-star, and again, there's not many – you know, you don't see many Vince Wolfolks, and I can't even guarantee Vince Wolfolk would have been a would have been a five star. You know, didn't test particularly well, so uh, I think anybody going forward that Alabama gets is going to be a guy top of their board. You speak of going forward, the numbers, the spots are getting tight at this point as Alabama hits the twentieth commitment for its twenty twenty one cycle in Tim Keenan. So, what does the what does the process look like moving forward? Does it become, uh, does it stay the same? Uh, what we've seen, does it become more about best player available? Does it stick to maybe more specific needs? What are you sort of projecting just in terms of the approach now with numbers being what they are? They're going to have to narrow it down. I mean, when it comes, I mean, they'll still, the best of the best, Alabama will still find room or have a scholarship or two for a guy that's just too good to pass up. But, They've already, and this is the case every year. I mean, Alabama's passed on guys that it, it took six or seven years to fully encompass. Like Alabama didn't recruit Jalen Ramsey because they wanted Eddie Jackson at the end, basically. Um, that's how Jalen ended up at FSU, Alabama. They're going to have to make those type choices. And, uh, you know, the good news is they're usually deciding between two or three really good players. They've already had to pass on some talented guys this year. And they'll have to, you know, they'll have to pass on more. They got priorities. They definitely want to add another uh, cornerback, probably uh, possibly even a second uh, uh, defensive back. They would love to add a wide receiver. If it's the right wide receiver, if it's Brian Thomas from Louisiana, the you know six foot three kid bordering on five star, they'd love to add another offensive lineman. Uh, but it's got to be the right one, a right one, a Marius Mims, you know that kind of kid, the five star offensive tackle from Georgia who's deciding uh, sometimes next month, Alabama's in the mix, Tennessee, Georgia. So in those situations, they're going to take the right one. They don't just have to take anyone to fill a class. They are definitely going to fill a class with their needs. Um, And, again, they're just going to go by priority. When you look again, they felt they needed another, you know, interior lineman, especially a nose guard, a zero technique. So they went after Tim Keenan. So it's going to be interesting. You know, they they might not take a running back. He would have to be – uh, a world beater, Cam Wheaton or somebody from Texas, a five-star running back. So this class, the way it's shaped up, I mean, it's really been, I mean, really, if you put a timeline on this thing, because again, you know, Deontay Lawson was sitting was sitting out there for a month by himself in this class. You know, you come out, hold the rope or whatever. Deontay was just sitting there like, hello, is this thing on? Bueller? 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 You know, just holding down the fort. And then I'm, you know, the panic to where they're at now. Um, I'm not surprised at what Alabama's done. They've did it uh, pretty consistently. They've been ahead of the curve in a lot of areas. So they adjusted to the uh, the uh, the pandemic and the COVID situation and everything really well. Um, top three class: LSU, Clemson, Ohio State, Bama. Some pretty elite classes, and they're number two right now. How about staff continuity? I know we've talked about it in the past, Tim, but especially with the the terms that are being dictated in this cycle with everything pretty much being virtual and the relationships that you've talked about a lot in the past and the importance of those on the recruiting trail, seeing an Alabama staff that is largely intact for the first time in a handful of years is, 
is that showing up big in this cycle again, especially with the, the situation being what it is? Uh, yeah, I think so. You know, I think this is, yeah, I think you look at it, they've been together, but also I think they've worked together really well. If you watch them on Twitter, uh, they, 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 no Alabama staff has ever really been social media involved to, to much of a degree. I mean, Gaddis did a lot of stuff for himself at Alabama, but you look at these guys, they're all promoting each other's commitments. They're all celebrating, you know, and it got confusing. Alabama fans never tried to read the uh, the emojis or whatever. You know, we didn't have a lot of experience reading what the staff was doing. So when Sarkeesian put out a flex muscle, everybody thought it was a quarterback. They didn't know Sarkeesian was just celebrating the inside linebacker or whatever. So you see them, they get along, you hear stories, they all seem to work together. You talk to kids, two, they hear from two or three or four coaches. So um, that And that definitely helps. And not, just as important, you know, you get a guy – when they come to Alabama, they're coming to a new area for the most part. I mean, you got guys like Charles Kelly. Charles Kelly, you can put him anywhere in the South. That's a veteran. He knows what he's doing. He's got connections pretty much anywhere in the country. But that's not the same case for a young guy like Carl Scott. He comes in. He lay, he gets his area. He lays his base. He goes to work building those relationships. And it takes some time. I mean, it takes some time for all these guys to, to come in and do a new area and figure it all out. And when, you know, once they've been here for this, this two cycles uh, or whatever it's been, they, they really, they really figured it out. So it's not just about having a group of guys together for an extended stretch. It's about a unified front and a true team effort on the recruiting trail, because as you and I both know, we've seen instances in the past where you can have staffs that have been together for a while but that doesn't mean necessarily that within that staff there's great chemistry uh, on the recruiting front and perhaps even to the extent where you don't have guys pulling for each other, right? Oh, yeah. I think when you have – I mean, you see you see that a lot. I mean, it, you know, there's a competition. You know, if, me, if you and I were on a football staff and, and there's three spots left and I had a guy in my area I wanted and you had a guy in your area you wanted, we'd both stand on the table probably and fight for him. I think, uh, you know, the difference would be me and you would eventually do what was best for the team and also, you know, fall in line with the head coach and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, when you got guys rooting for you on the same page, uh, helping you out, not a lot of jealousy, those guys just seem to do their business. And if you look at that staff, it's a really good blend of, of experience and then younger guys. If you look at it, Pete's a young guy, Carl's a young guy. You know, and then you mix them in with Charles Kelly, Sal Sarkeesian's a veteran. You know, Jeff Banks is still, you know, uh, he's a veteran, but a younger guy. So you've got a really good blend. And even Charlie Strong sick back in there, that office, man. You're talking about some experience and um, having to maneuver around situations. There's a lot, you know, the younger guys can learn a lot from a Charlie Strong who's been through a lot of situations. Steve Sarkeesian, Charles Kelly. Sal Sinceri, who've been in so many situations, you know, as Oscar Wilde said, youth is wasted on the young. Well, the older guys can help out the younger guys. They can sort of show them and guide them and help them. But the blend seems to be perfect at this point. Damn. Did Tim Watts just quote Oscar Wilde on this podcast? I've got Wow. I've got four teenagers. If you don't think I know the (laughs) young, you're insane because I tell them (laughs) Professor Watts during these remote learning days of the pandemic. Dude, I've streamed too much. (laughs) 
I think I'm a, I'm not sure I'm a, I think I'm a virtual man at this point. I'm not sure I'm human. If you shot, you get your PhD before you know it. Here, yeah. shot bullet would just go through me. I've heard Tim Watts described in a lot of ways. Professorial, I don't think, is one of them. But uh, maybe that's where we're headed. Maybe that's where we're headed with Tim Watts. Hey, Tim, um, obviously we wanted to talk and kind of reset this recruiting effort for Alabama in the 2021 cycle. But, you know, given the proximity uh, to this most recent class, the 2020 group, wanted to get into some discussion about some of those guys who are on campus now and making an impact, some guys trying to assert themselves at specific spots on this football team and on this roster. And, you know, we'll do that. We'll start with, uh, we'll start with Bryce Young and kind of the path it's been for him to this point. And with all the expectations as the nation's number one recruit uh, for the 2020 cycle and, you know, the unfortunate nature of what we've experienced this year uh, due to the COVID-19 uh, situation and spring practice goes by the boards, that opportunity for him and the other en- early enrollees doesn't come about. Uh, you do get some work in the summer. You get into preseason practices. And then we learned last week that Bryce has uh, had to miss some practices, had to miss Saturday scrimmage. Um, what does all this do? for you anyway, in terms of your expectations for Bryce for this upcoming season? What's what's realistic now in comparison to maybe what we were thinking uh, before? Yeah, I mean, he's missed a lot of time as far as quality stars and, you know, facing the SEC defense. I think that's the biggest thing is not going through the spring. I mean, look, the guy's as talented as anybody. I mean, to me, the best arm talent I've ever seen in Tuscaloosa is definitely two of maybe the best I've ever seen. Just an unbelievable, just as a passer, just an unbelievable arm from Tua. But Bryce Young is a complete package as well. This is a guy that's smart, works hard, can throw. He's gotten a little thicker. So you look at him from a talent standpoint, it's almost like looking to some degree, like you look at Major League Baseball where you get that big rookie signed out of a college and he goes through rookie ball, A ball, double A, triple A, and the majors. That's sort of like with a quarterback, he's got to go through that same thing. You can't really just stick him out there. All right, I mean, you can, but it's hard. But you want to stick him out there and let him get that experience. You prefer to do it when they're in a safer environment. And you prefer to do it in practice and all that stuff in a, in, a, in a closed environment to some degree. But, I mean, you know, he's going to have to get his experience now against Missouri. And, you know, the good news is Alabama has some games where they can uh, – uh, probably get ahead a decent amount and get him in and work him in. I think he's going to be worked in. I, it'd be hard for me to imagine Matt's not the starter, right? I mean, yeah. I mean it's hard. I mean, the guys is the starter. Um, you know, you know, was a starter at the end of last year. Did a pretty good job and super competitive guy. But when it comes to talent, it's going to be hard to keep Bryce Young off the field. And a lot could depend on what Mac does. The cards really, when you look at it, I think Bryce was dealt a bad hand in some way. But, you know, I don't think he's the kind of kid to complain because the whole world has issues. So um, this is a series of, uh, of un- unfortunate events, really, that led Bryce to where he missed a chance to really get seen. Like you said, missing practice, uh, you know, missed the spring because of everything that happened. But the kid's a talent, and I think he's a quick study, and I've heard nothing but good things about him. So... I think he's got to make the most of his opportunities when he gets those opportunities. And, hey, 
if you're a quarterback walking in here, you got a hell of an offensive line. You got a hell of a receiver set. You got a hell of running backs. You got a six. You got a sixth offensive lineman that is your starting running back. So you've got a chance to sit back in that pocket and do some things. So I think once the game settles in, slows down for him, he's going to be fine. Yeah, and there's still opportunities during preseason practice for Bryce Young now that he's back in the fold and. Uh, you've completed eight workouts. You have 25 in the preseason. That means you have 17 more. There's going to be additional scrimmage opportunities coming up for him. And uh, the good thing about a guy like Bryce Young is with that vast skill set that he has, uh, if it just comes down to making plays, uh, he can jump back on that horse pretty quickly. Uh, it is more so, I think, the the reps that you want him to get within the uh, parameters of the offensive scheme and seeing things a certain way you want him to see them, whether it's pre-snap, whether it's commanding the huddle, whether it's the tempo at which you're trying to work offensively. Those are some of the areas where he's going to have most of the, the catching up to do. But as you said, just a guy in terms of talent, uh, I think you could put him out there in a lot of different situations and he would figure out a way not only to survive, but, but thrive uh, because of, I'm sorry. There's a little bit where, you know, you see a lot of the Jalen Tua comparisons. I don't particularly think that's a good one. I mean, Jalen was a proven veteran, a proven winner, and Tua was a wild man. I mean, Tua was like Brett Favre at Alabama. I mean, the guy would turn the ball over. That's just his game. I mean, he lives in the small windows and all of that. I don't think it's the exact same comparison. Mac Jones isn't as good as Jalen was at that time. And Bryce is safer with the ball. Now, I think a lot of what sort of Tua slowly brought Tua into it, slowed his progress, was the fact he would turn the ball over. We saw it in the Tennessee game and in other stuff. And, hey, he's a gunslinger. I'm not faulting the guy. I mean, guys like that, Brett Favre, they throw underhanded left-handed passes that the linebacker picks off sometimes. <laughs> so, he's got that gunslinger mentality. I don't think Bryce has that. I think Bryce is smart, protects the ball. When he runs, he runs smart. He throws the ball away. When I watched him, and I watched basically every game of his last year, I believe, he knows how to how to avoid get, taking a big hit. He knows when to throw the ball away. He knows when to do, you know take a dive basically. So things a little bit of Tua, you know Tua, you know you saw Tua injured uh, on plays. He should have threw the ball away. We saw him re-injured on similar plays. So just different kind, both very competitive, but I think a different mindset. So um, I do think Bryce is, will be a little bit more trusted than Tua was at the same stage. Interesting because risk versus reward. Absolutely, especially with young quarterbacks, uh, is is sometimes a concept that's difficult to grasp. And the, the quicker you can get that, uh, the more likely you are to see the, the playing field uh, at an earlier uh, mile marker in your development. Hey, we're going to head to a break here on the Bama Online Podcast. When we come back, we'll talk about some more freshmen of influence on this Alabama football team with Tim Watts, site publisher for BamaOnline.com. Back with more of the show right after this. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. 
With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. And we're back with the Bama Online Podcast. Travis Ryder, Senior Analyst for BOL, joined by site publisher Watts. Hey, if you haven't already, how about a subscription to the podcast? It's very simple. It's easy. It's free. Wherever you consume your podcast, whether that's Stitcher, Google Play, iTunes, Megaphone, you name it, a simple click and you'll be subscribed to the podcast. You'll have them downloaded to that smartphone of yours. You won't even have to think about it. And it would help us out, and we'd certainly appreciate that. Leave a rating and a review while you're there as well. That would be welcomed, certainly. And, hey, by the way, if you leave a question in your review, we'll get to it here on the podcast. So in addition to telling us what you think of the podcast, leave us a question about, well, anything, just about, and we'll do our best to get to it here on the show. So, Tim, we talked about Bryce Young and sort of resetting perhaps expectations for the freshman quarterback. How about the defensive side of the ball? Because that's where we continue to hear so much about these newcomers. And I know it's not a surprise to you because uh, obviously you've you've seen a lot of these guys for multiple years now. But uh, you know, kind of the names we were expecting to see on defense: Will Anderson, Brian Branch. Um, uh, th- these are the guys, Drew Sanders, that, that have obviously uh, shown some positive things here early. And I guess at some positions where you expected Alabama was going to need some help. But uh, what, are you, what are you getting from that side of the ball with the newcomers to this point? Look, I mean, 20 years, you know, I'm not re- I really try to subdue the thoughts on a lot of these kids. I don't want to overhype them. It puts pressure on them. And the fans, I mean, I saw a discussion yesterday whether or not DeMoy Kennedy's overrated. He hasn't even played, probably had five practices so far, so it's probably early on that. But I'm telling you, this Will Anderson joker, I mean, we knew <laughs> I mean, we knew he was good. Alabama loved him from the get-go. His senior film, his camp film, his All-American performance, he's in the discussion for number one. Um we knew, we knew what he could bring to the table. We knew he was built different because I, I heard it 50 times, literally, everybody. He's built different. He's not, you know, one guy told me he don't have the DNA, same DNA as us. You know, they think Will's basically an alien. And all that was good. He gets to Alabama, and you're still hearing the same thing. You are still hearing the same thing. Will Anderson's just a different guy. I mean, he's, he's, it's, it's not just the talent. I mean, I think it's the talent comes in handy, but it's the work ethic, the first on the field, the last out the door. I mean, he went home. I don't remember, but Alabama got a break over the weekend. I think they got a Friday, Saturday, Sunday off a few weeks ago. And I looked on Twitter, and dude had went home and started working out on a field, was doing sprints and stuff. And someone saw him and videoed it. So, I mean, this, this guy's quite the animal. Um, and I think he's definitely going to have a chance to have an impact this year. Yeah, you hit on it there, because when we think about freshmen, and especially at a position like the one he plays, we sort of default towards the physical maturity aspect, right? He's 6'4", he's 240, so physically he's equipped 
to be able to step in early and make an impact. But when you combine that with the the maturity in terms of work ethic and the willingness to, to put in the extra time, because look, at that position, in most instances, I'm sure you, you've seen this a ton throughout the, the 20 plus years you've been doing this, uh, technique, uh, learning how to play at, at, at this level, at a position like that. It isn't just, okay, the football snapped, I blow by the tackle and I make a sack. I mean, you've got to have some tools now in that tool belt. You can't just have a hammer, right? You've got to have everything else to go in that tool belt. And, you know, to get there quickly as a freshman, and I think it goes without saying that he was obviously well coached uh, on the high school level, but there's still so much ground to cover. And that's where the work ethic part of it and the commitment comes in. And uh, it sounds like you're seeing that from Will Anders. No, I agree. I mean, you know, and a lot of the guys we heard last year, and it's not really a coincidence that we heard a lot of the guys. I mean, this was a very serious football class. I mean, these guys were, 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 were. I don't know how to say. It. They were handpicked. They were selected for as much for their mental as their physical stuff. Also, the cards fell the right way. Where you know Kirby Smart and Georgia didn't recruit Will Anderson early on, or Brian Branch. You know, these are two top forty players. Um, and we're hearing Branch's name just as much. You now you hear the scuttlebutt, and then you hear Nick Saban saying it. So you, 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 you got to put some um, credence to it. But so Alabama was fortunate in the fact some of these guys weren't recruited really hard. I mean, Will Anderson fell into their lap. They did a great job recruiting him, got on him early. Brian Branch, people knew how good Brian Branch was, and they sort of, you know, it's like my, you know, my buddy said when we used to gamble: study long, study wrong. I think that's what happened with Brian Branch. Is that. Um, you just kept looking for reasons not to take him instead of for reasons to take him. A lot of other schools are pointing out he's, they had him at four six seven or four seven three or whatever they had him at the forty at their camp. And but if you look at his game film, he's definitely not running around there at you know Hank's house speed. I mean, he's mixing in some Charlie, <laughs> he's mixing in some Charlie Potter at least or something. You know, Charlie said he ran. Charlie said he ran to sub four seven at Boaz High School. That was what Charlie said in back park- in the day. From the parking lot to the subline, I was really trying. From from the parking lot to the Disney line, Charlie's a four two three guy. Oh, he he can get through Epcot three two, two seven. seven. Yeah. This way, Henry Ruggs would be waiting behind Potter in line if they <laughs> come on, Henry, you better get behind me. So these guys are super talented. Hearing those names, Drew Sanders is another one. You know, just another animal type guy, very serious. Uh, Carl Scott did a great job flipping him from Oklahoma. We're hearing his name a lot. I mean, we're hearing his name enough that would be super impressive if Will Anderson wasn't hogging, you know, hogging a lot of the talk right now. But Brian Branch, Malachi Moore is another one. Uh, you see these guys coming in with Bryce, Javon Baker, the wide receiver from Georgia. Let me see. I'll tell you. The thing about Javon is I love Javon. When you look at that, like, I'm trying to think of that dog mentality in a wide receiver. Yeah. Like Jarvis Landry, like Steve Smith would fist fight you with the ball in the air. Um, Anquan Bolden, when you look at those receivers that are just mean and want the ball, you know, a dog, Javon fit that. Now they're telling me he's a little quicker and a little faster, which was the only question on him at all. Because if it hits his hands, he catches the ball. He's a willing blocker. He's a, uh, you know, just a smart football player. Um, and loves it. So he's another guy that's been standing out. So we've seen quite a few freshmen 
pretty talented Alabama team coming back to even get mentioned, especially on uh, you know, especially start getting mentioned on offense. But um, a lot of guys with the chance to step in and play, step in and play next year. And like we said, you know, we discussed I, this is so important. We're now here and and we talked about this last year. Maybe now it's more visible. Chris Allen is doing better. Ben Davis mm-hmm. and better. Why? Because Will Anderson and Drew Sanders are up their butt for that position. That competition, last year's team didn't have the competition that this year's team is to push. You and I discussed it where how hard did how hard did Diggs have to work? He had a starting position if he skipped practice all week almost. You know, there just yeah. wasn't a lot of push, but now everybody's getting pushed. Mac Jones is getting pushed, Nazi's getting pushed. Um, wide receivers aren't getting pushed, but there's other guys working in the mix with the wide receivers. So we see the best out of everybody. And Ben Davis is a guy. I'm really hoping that Ben has a big year. There'd be no more fitting story than Ben. I mean, the thing I respect about the guy, this is a five-star kid. He's a top-ten player. Uh, hasn't really you know, seen the success we expected for him in college, but he never quit. And he's still there, and he's still fighting for that position. So I'm hoping that he's healthy. We've discussed that before with his sin chin issues, but I hope he gets a shot and does something with it. I know the I know the football team's a big fan of his. Yeah, it's true with Ben and Chris Allen, and kind of goes back to that aspect of that job where you know you got to be a bit of a grown man uh, on early downs against the run, especially when it comes to setting the edge and being able to uh, put forth what's required there, and that's where you count on veterans typically more often than not guys like Allen and, and Davis. But again, uh, Will Anderson looks to be a little bit different from that regard that uh, a little bit advanced in, in the maturity aspect of things as well. Hey, Tim, uh, before we get out of here today, you know, something else we don't really talk about all that much is the role that second year guys typically have and sort of the advancement that can be made in that area. And you look in, say, certain areas of this defense. Um, so many of these defensive linemen from a year ago that saw action, but then guys like Ishmael Softshire that really didn't, that have a chance in year two. DeMarco Hellams at the safety position, whether it's safety or money, uh, obviously going to count a lot on Jordan Battle back there at safety. Uh, offensive line depth, I think you can point at a guy like Pierce Quick. Uh, Darrington Dahlcourt is a depth provider, a guy in the mix at center. Um, really across the board, you know, Trey Sanders going into his second year in the program at running back. Uh, sometimes we, we make the mistake of losing sight of, of guys that don't necessarily contribute a ton. Some of those guys I mentioned did a year ago, but uh, some big opportunities for some second-year guys that maybe we haven't talked as much about either. Yeah, I mean, you look, you look, you know, you start looking for guys, and like you said, Trey Sanders is obviously the guy I think that can play. Uh, last year, there was a lot of talk that he was as good as Najee, you know, before the injury. Certainly, one of the most talented kids you're going to see, a five-star running back. One that is one that I'm interested in to see if he gets and what opportunity he gets if he gets an opportunity. He's Pierce Quick. If there's an opportunity that arises with that offensive line, I know he's ran some with the ones and some with the twos. I know that Kyle Flood and the uh, the uh, strength and conditioning guys seem to like him a lot. So he's a guy that could step in if needed. Sosfer, we've heard good things about. Uh, he's working hard. He looks better. You know, we you know we discussed this last year. It's not all freshmen are equal. 
when Bryce Young got to Alabama in January 5th or 6th, whatever he got there, Ishmael got there in almost August. That's seven or eight, you know, that's almost that's seven full months he didn't get with the strength and conditioning coach to get acclimated. So all freshmen don't have the same uh, advantages. You know, they don't have the same. Some get there earlier, and, 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 you know, Ishmael obviously suffered by not, you know, arriving, not really having a chance to get in shape. And, you know, that's the case with big men. Tim Smith's another one that came in probably a little bit overweight, five-star guy. And it's not hard to envision. If you're a 300-pound man and you're off, especially during COVID where you're limited a lot in what you can do, it's not hard to put on 10 or 15 pounds, even as a young guy. Um, so, but those guys get there and get in shape and, um, you know, have a chance. You know, a lot of these guys have a chance to step in. I'm curious to see what Keaton does and Kevin Harris and some of those guys yeah. off the edge. There's a lot of guys that are athletic in these two, in the, in the, in that, in that 19 and 18 group on that front seven, there's a lot of athletes there. So I'm really looking forward to a few of them stepping up and just seeing them, seeing what they can do. Yeah, that 2019 class, it's easy to sort of forget about a little bit when you do what you did in the in the 2020 group that followed it. But when you talk about this 2D for this team, there's going to be a lot of these second-year guys in, in that mix. And you know, that's before you talk about what you expect from Christian Harris and even perhaps Shane Lee in their second years there. Uh, at inside linebacker Tim, uh, as we get out of here, you know we like to get into the pop culture on the podcast, and with that, I know we have a uh, a, a common favorite a uh, in, in terms of uh, streaming or television shows or things. Yellowstone, Tim, what are your thoughts? Uh, Kevin Costner, Big John Dutton. Uh, what about this show? What do you think? A weird season for me. It just seemed like a lot. My wife loves the show. For me, it was it was a weirder feeling season than usual. Um, the ending was insane. I don't want to give it all away, but it was almost like you know. I said it on the message board on the round table. It was like you know, at every Godfather, you got the blowout scene at the end. Well, it was like get to the blowout scene and then saying we'll see you next year. <laughs> you know I mean? like, almost like the end of the. They walked in the door yep. and we we faded to black. So I love some of the cast. I hate some of the cast. Of course, Rip, you know, he's, you know, we were, you Rip's know, awesome. Everybody, he's Rip. Rip is the best in everything. He is good. And when you look back, he's the chillest guy in Goodwill Hunting and Dazed and Confused. He's in the middle between too soft and too hard. That guy's got a, he's just a good actor. Jamie freaks me out. He freaks me out. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you remember with the, American Beauty with Kevin Space, a very yeah. weird. He's the same character. The guy when they don't let him smile, he looks like a more like almost like a corpse. He looks or a mortician, yeah, yeah or a mortician who, yeah, eats the bodies. But <laughs> he could have been in Six Feet Under very easily, I think. Absolutely, it's a good, it's a great show reference. But I love, I don't like uh, Casey's wife. She gets on my nerves. I don't trust her. No. You know, I, I I don't I don't think, but you know, who do you trust to begin with on this show? Everybody's the bad guy in the show, and from that standpoint, it really is like the Montana version of the Sopranos. I mean, John Dutton isn't a good person. No, Kevin Costner's character he's he's Tony Soprano of of the Big Sky is what he is. He's a terrible businessman. I'd rather lose it all than sell it. What kind of crap is that for your kids? And you're branding people for crying out loud like they're cattle. Yeah, that shit. They stand there and laugh. 
If you rain in me and be hurrying on my ass because I'd be desperate <laughs> running from that thing. There ain't no bravery. Oh, gosh. Yeah. And that's before we even get the bath. I mean, good Lord, man. Yeah. You, she, know? you talk about an unholy union. Bath and rip together. How about that? Right, for, right. A, for a couple. Oof. Imagine the child, you know. I mean, it, somebody's going to die in that, that well, deal. Just. Uh, Way I was just sitting there and I looked up Rips talking to his mother's corpse skeleton, taking from her. He was rocking her. <laughs> Rips rolling her up. Rips rolling his mom. I'm like, what in the heck is going on here? I want her to have it. We should have thought yeah. before we buried her. But that's where Rips kind of like Tony Soprano. He, he dug yeah. up his mom to take her wedding ring to give it to his fiance. And you know Tony's ring that he gave uh, Carm. Uh, and the Sopranos came off somebody or, or somehow, you know, illegally. It's a good show. It got wild, and it had to get wild. I mean, you saw it. You saw it coming. You know, he's out there fixing the tire. It took. You know, he started at sun up, and it was sundown when he was done. So you knew. Uh, you knew you had problems, but it's a good watch. It's good because it's easy and it's simple, and some of it's outlandish. Like my boy, what's my rodeo guy, Jimmy? Jimmy, I mean, yeah. They moved in. He met her in the afternoon, and they moved in together at night. <laughs> he made him go back to the studio. I guess anything he, goes in that. Anything goes in that bunkhouse. By the way, you know, apparently that was the orgy house. The last couple episodes. I think Rip. I think Rip's about had enough of that, though. Or I, maybe he hasn't. I don't know. Yeah. Um, Rip's gonna kill. Listen, in in season four, Rip's gonna kill everybody. After how the finale went down for season three, I, I feel safe in saying that Rip is going to kill multiple people as we get into season four. Tim, I tell you, the one guy, the chief. I'm really curious to see what happens with the chief. That guy's a good actor. He's sort of strapped mm-hmm. middle ground, sort of friend, sort of foe. Um, I'm curious to see what direction that goes um, uh, with the show next year. But it's you know what, and somebody on the message board, the roundtable said that they're we're planning to go six or seven seasons. I just assume next season was the end, considering um, you know it, it had such. A- I've heard Costner. I've heard Kevin Costner isn't isn't a big fan of doing the show. So that, that's where maybe it could get interesting because I'm not sure what he was doing before that, but I think it was all straight to video, so he should really think this through. It's like my boy Ross off Friends. Yeah, my boy Ross on whatever his name was on Friends, David Schwimmer kept wanting to get off to do movies. Well, you got off. I ain't seen no movies. <laughs> well, Costner apparently doesn't have really any say in his character, and he likes to have some input oh, on I'm the su- character. I'm surprised about that. Now, you could kill Costner off, and you could let Rip take control and, you know, you know, Jesus take the wheel. You know, Casey, yeah. Yeah, let Rip and them going against Jamie. So, good show. I like it. Um, it's it's good fodder. It's good just to watch and not have to think. It's one of those shows you can go to the bathroom without pausing it. No, don't pause it. I'm good. Come back. Yeah, it's not Thanks. not a lot of uh, mental gymnastics required. Hey. Uh, that I, I think that's what I like about it. I, I don't I, like to have to work through my television, man. Not, I'm lazy it. that way. Yeah, you know? I, I watch some shows that not only do I have to watch them, I have to rewatch an episode. I mean, yeah. I'm really paying attention and like, what happened? 
All right, as we get out of here, Tim, uh, your your culinary question of the day. You can pick one seafood dish for the rest of your life. Only one. What are you going with? Man, it's so hard. I mean, I'm, I, I was ate so much shrimp. I'm shrimped out. It probably would have been my choice. I think I would probably go our char grilled oyster seafood. Yeah, heck yeah. I, that's my. That's probably my favorite um, seafood in New Orleans. We have them at Acme. We have them at a uh, um, Drago's and a couple other places. I love char grilled seafood. I mean, shoot, char grilled. I love char grilled oysters. So that would yeah. probably, although I'm thinking that's a bad decision on an island, but I will go with that. That's my favorite. Tough for me, too, uh, because I can eat a good just fried shrimp plate all oh, yeah. day long. Yes. You know, just really good Gulf Fresh shrimp fried, some homemade cocktail sauce for them. Uh, I can do that all day long. I like flounder, too. If you get me some scored flounder that you fry – uh, and just kind of put it right there in front of me. I can I can do some work on that as well. I'm gonna I'm gonna just keep it simple though. I'm gonna go with the fried shrimp. Fried shrimp would be the call because see then I could make po boys right no, out right. of that fried shrimp. If you have some rice, you can mix it up. I tell you one thing I can't stop eating when I start when I'm at the beach is uh, smoked tuna dip. I love that too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like, you know I just amazing because I don't like tuna dip, but I love smoked tuna dip and. Mm-hmm. I mean, I could like sit there and eat the whole friggin' the whole thing. We get it. I think it's called Blaylocks down there in Destin, or when we're in Orange Beach, they got a place we get it, man. And it, it's it's a uh, it's a good it, it's a good easy eat. We've got a place here in uh, Tuscaloosa River is a restaurant, and it's right on the Black Warrior River, uh, over behind the campus, sort of there on uh, Jack Warner Parkway, and they've done a good uh, a smoke dip like that whether it's tuna or trout or something else. But, yeah, I feel you on the, the know, smoked fish dip of any kind. I know y'all got some good restaurants down there. Will Anderson's mom, <laughs> she was on Twitter. She was of, at the Avenue Pub. Yeah, I saw that. Had you in uh, something about a Mexican restaurant that place owned, but she's like, I got to watch the food. It is too good yeah. down And, um, uh, yeah, she was loving it. Whatever it was, she was loving it. She went to brunch at the Avenue Pub, and that's a good call. Somebody led her in the right direction. That is a uh, – we've got a lot of – you're right. We've, we've stepped it up restaurant-wise here in Tuscaloosa. And uh, when it comes to brunch options, we've got far more than I ever could have imagined uh, about 17 years ago. That's for sure. Hey, Tim, it's been a lot of fun, man. We've covered a lot of ground. Hopefully it's been informative and entertaining and uh, who knows? We may have a breaking pot or two coming up. You never know, right? Never know. Never know. The best way to know, though, is to hang out with us at BamaOnline.com. Post up with us right there on the roundtable, the premium message board of choice for Crimson Tide fans everywhere. And with that, Tim, appreciate it, man. We'll appreciate it. We'll see you guys on the roundtable. Don't be strangers. Absolutely. For Tim Watts, Travis Ryer, thanking you once again for joining us here on the Bama Online Podcast. And as Tim said, we'll see you on the roundtable there at BOL. Have a great rest of your week, everybody. 
Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details.